everybody, this is Brian Nemhauser, aka Hawk Blogger, and I wanted to let you know that we had some technical difficulties on this episode of Real Hawk Talk, so got cut off in the beginning, and uh, Jeff Simmons had some trouble getting in at the beginning, so uh, we're going to start this in progress uh, in an interview that I was doing with Aaron Levine of Q13 Fox. Uh, Aaron had a lot of great insights, and uh, we got a lot of good stuff uh, through the rest of the episode, but... Thanks for your patience, and we'll keep trying to get this uh, better and better as time goes on. Take care and go Hawks. The official partner of the Seahawks really uh, was a great opportunity for us to be able to feature exclusive content that we're able to on a weekly basis, including sitting down with Pete Carroll every week on Seahawks Saturday night and getting players and coaches mic'd up every week. So, And being able to sit down with a lot of the players that we really didn't have a chance to do those first three years that I was sports director here. Yeah, um, you know, um, I'm curious, uh, you have a background in sports, not just, uh, you know, in covering them. Uh, I, if I remember, remember right, you're a pretty good golfer. Uh, how, I how was good a pretty golfer? good golfer. What, what was your background? My wife and I, had a, I was a great golfer until my wife and I had a son. Our baby boy <laughs> is uh, close to eight months old now, and I've swung the club all four or five times since December. So... Uh, I will tell you that will not change, I'm sorry to say. (laughs) Slowly working on uh, getting my handicap up to double digits, but it's taking a really long time since I only play once every three months. Got it. Got uh, it. A single handicap that plays more like a 20 right now. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you mentioned access that you've got to the Seahawks over the years now that you've you've, um, uh, picked them up and uh, on Q13. Uh, what are some things that might be surprising to folks um, when you get behind the scenes access, when you're talking to these players, talking to these coaches that, you know, maybe is different than the typical person would expect, or maybe different than what you expected when you first got to meet some of these people? How down to earth they are. I mean, most of these guys, I, I, I always go back to the fact that Marshawn Lynch didn't talk to the media very often and what a big deal that was in the national media and how little a deal it was from a local sports perspective, because when you have 53 guys on a 53 man roster and one of them doesn't want to talk to the media and you have 52 other guys that are more than happy to talk to you most of the time and are really good people, it's not a big deal. And yeah. uh, that was the one thing that I didn't understand. Every so single where do I the uh, the Super fix the mic here on this one? It's the mic. Hey, Jeff, oh, you, Jeff, you got to. We got a Can you guys see me this way? Yep. Yep. Okay, thank you. So anyway, that, that was really what uh, what stood out to me that, that year in particular. And it's always it's, – it's pretty much been status quo since, is you have a group of really good guys, coaches, players. Uh, I haven't been around many NFL organizations, but this is clearly one that has run the right way. And – a big reason is the way Carol and Schneider run, run this franchise. So um, really, really have enjoyed my time here working with everybody out there at the BMAC and the facility in Renton. Yeah. And, and related to that, uh, you know, in other markets, maybe in this one, I'm curious um, from your perspective, the media itself doesn't always get along that well. There's some competition <laughs> among obviously uh, peers and um, I'm curious, you know, Seattle's media has a reputation of being, pretty congenial um you know has that been your experience or does it get kind of tough sometimes um from media member to media member uh for the most part it's really a friendly competition uh the only you know hard time i've had in in for the whole time is uh when you get into it with jeff baker when you're talking about a soto arena versus key arena uh, and the coverage there but when it comes to the seahawks everybody that that covers the Hawks. They're all great people. And I've never really had a conflict with anybody. Uh, it's a friendly competition, at least amongst the TV stations in town. And uh, I believe a friendly competition amongst all the writers as well. So there's not too much conflict that you come across, at least when covering the Seahawks. Yeah. I, I kind of, um, you ruined my image of the uh, anchorman um, uh, scene Alleyway where fight. everyone gets together and has a big uh, scrum. Uh, yeah. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll have to see if we can recreate that another time. I'm not um, any blades in my back pocket. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> that was an awesome scene. Uh, yeah. so, uh, you were out there at camp today. You interviewed some folks, talked to some folks. 
what's the buzz that you're hearing? What, what are the things that are catching your attention so far in camp? Um, you know, I talked to Pete Carroll, which we'll see on Seahawks Saturday night. I asked him about Chris Carson. He seems to be very excited about Chris, just as excited as he was uh, on draft day. He said he was one of the guys he was most excited about drafting uh, over NFL draft weekend, but he's really excited to see Chris in particular and a lot of the other young guys in the preseason games. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is the evaluation process. You can't necessarily say it's 50-50 between training camp and preseason games, but when somebody does it, in a game in front of everybody who is watching, not only the, what, all 27,000 fans that are going to be at the Stub Hub Center in Carson on Sunday, but also everybody who's watching on TV and across the country, it, it means a little bit more, and it holds a little bit more weight. So you might see Otha Peters on the second day of camp make a pick six in team session, uh, but if he doesn't show up when it comes down to the preseason games, he's not going to have a chance of making the team. I think the perfect example last season was Eric Pinkins because everybody was really excited about him competing for that strong side linebacker position during training camp. He had some really good days at camp and he just did not show up whatsoever in any of the preseason games. So I would say the, the games that you're going to see starting on Sunday hold a little bit more weight for some of those guys who are borderline players and fighting for spots on the 53 man roster. Yeah, what's, what's your take on Shaq Griffin? Um, I really like what I've seen from him, and uh, the team seems to be giving him more opportunity. Do you think when Jeremy Lane comes back healthy, right now he's got a groin that he's nursing, uh, is your expectation that Jeremy Lane just automatically slides back in, or do you think that there's now competition for that starting spot opposite of Sherman? I think Shaq Griffin is definitely going to get an opportunity uh, for that first string position. In fact, he'll probably play with the starters in a couple of these preseason games. And again, that's just preseason, but I think Jeremy Lane is going to be your, your, your starter opposite Richard Sherman to start the season. And my reasons are numberfold. Number one, uh, it is really difficult to start as a rookie as a cornerback on this team, specifically because of the technique, the unique technique that they teach all their cornerbacks here in the secondary, that step kick technique that is very foreign to whether you're a free agent coming in here. We saw Kerry Williams have a hell of a time and he never was able to adjust to it. Um, and then that's one of the reasons why they like drafting these guys and molding them the way they want. And so while Shaquille Griffin is quick he probably has, as Chris Richard said, the best corner mind for a rookie that he's ever seen. And he is mature behind it beyond his years. If you listen to any of his interviews, he doesn't seem like a rookie at all. And he's been more than willing to listen to Richard Sherman and listen to some of the guys that are more veteran around him. And I, you got to love that as a fan because he's like a sponge. He's going to absorb all of that knowledge and ultimately become an amazing cornerback in this league. Whether he can step in from day one is is to be determined. Uh, remember, Richard Sherman didn't even start his rookie season until midway through, and that wasn't until, I believe, Marcus Trufant got injured midway through that year. So, uh, again, I would expect Jeremy Lane to start opposite Richard Sherman at the beginning of the season. I asked Bobby Wagner, give me one player on this team that he thought he thinks is going to be really surprising to a lot of fans. And Wagner told me that it's going to be Jeremy Lane. And uh, from the first week of camp, at least until Lane got uh, slightly hampered by injury, he looked the part. He looked like he's put in a lot of work this offseason, and I would not be surprised if Jeremy Lane is your starting cornerback week one. Now, the one thing is, if Shaq, if Shaquille Griffin can um, can adjust to that position quickly, then you've got one heck of a nickelback in Lane that can move on the inside, uh, and you also have very capable cornerbacks, you would hope, in Nico Thorpe and potentially DeAndre Elliott or Mike Tyson. So, um, I think it's a really fun debate to have, uh, but I think week one, it'll be Jeremy Lane. And then eventually Shaquille Griffin will win that spot. That's great. I, I, I remiss if I didn't ask you about <clears throat> really one of the number one topics about any Seahawks evaluation, and that's the offensive line. Um, right. you know, we heard today that Pete Carroll was pretty effusive in his praise of Jordan Roos, an undrafted free agent, and basically indicated he's already made the team. He was talking about him having a long career with the team and um, he got some reps with the ones today. You know, what are you hearing, you know, behind the scenes about the team's confidence in, in those players and what they're seeing from that line? And what do you, what do you, what's your personal assessment of what's going on there? 
everything publicly has been positive from what we've heard. Uh, they're really expecting, uh, they're expecting all those guys, those first year players like Jermaine Effetti uh, to, to make a big leap uh, from year one to year two, George Fant at left tackle. Uh, and they really like the guys they brought in. I wouldn't be surprised if Odea Bushi was your starting right guard week one. Uh, he's really given Mark Lewinsky a run for his money. And we've seen Ibushi at uh, playing with the number ones a whole bunch. Uh, I think that while there is a lot of com- – and Luke Jokel also, they've, they've really spoken highly of, and I think he's going to be your starting left guard because Riso Diambo hasn't really given too much to um, – at least hasn't shown me enough uh, that he's 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 good enough to start at left guard, uh, at least over Jokel. Um, the question is going to be on the ends. Can George Fan, who started 10 games last year, I mean, yeah, he's 26 pounds heavier, but has he improved enough to hold down what is one of the most important spots on the team, and that's left tackle? Yeah. And is Jermaine Effetti going to feel comfortable at his natural position uh, that he played at Texas A&M at right tackle? I don't think Ethan Posick is going to win that job because he's just too green. He's too raw. He played uh, – and it's not to say that he doesn't have the tools to eventually be your starting right tackle, uh, but I think the fact that he played center in college, it's going to be too quick a transition to him for him to, to move all the way outside. And I wasn't surprised when we saw him take some snaps at center earlier today because Posick's going to be on this team. Ultimately, he could potentially be your backup at right tackle. He could be a backup at center to Justin Britt. And the nice part about most of these offensive linemen, aside from Joey Hunt and George Fant, is that they can play multiple positions along the line. Britt started at tackle, then moved to guard. Now he's your starting center. Um, All those guys, Glowinski moved from left guard to right guard. Jokel can play multiple positions. Riso Diambo can play multiple positions. And and so can hopefully Effetti if if he succeeds over at right tackle. So, I think it doesn't bode well for a guy like Joey Hunt who can only play backup center (laughs) right now, but I think it bodes well for a lot of the other guys who can play uh, multiple positions along the line. I'm worried about the youth on the ends, uh, left tackle and right tackle, to be perfectly honest. I I like Justin Britt at center. I like the guards that you have. It's just the experience level on the ends going up against some of the best defensive ends in the league. And you're already seeing that at times during training camp. It's a learning lesson for a lot of those and a lot of those guys. And it just depends on how quickly they can adjust. Yeah. I'm going to take a a big risk here and see if our uh, co-host Jeff Simmons can uh, get a question out without freezing on the air. (laughs) I'll try my best. I was on the phone figuring out the technical difficulties. So, Aaron, you've been covering Seahawks camp for a long time. And something that struck me this week, even before the Effetti-Clark thing, Peter King was there, and he kind of wrote about this this week. He kind of portrayed a vibe that Seahawks camp was out of control. And that that kind of surprised me since he's been around the league for so long, and he was a pool reporter from some of the Super Bowls. So how would you characterize this camp and maybe just kind of the vibe around this team following that big ESPN article and the Fetty Clark thing and just how different is this from other camps? And was that kind of an overreaction? I honestly think that this camp has been pretty much similar to all other camps aside from the Fetty Clark incident. And mm-hmm. that kind of startled a lot of people. If you were there that day and you saw that punch thrown, you just don't see punches thrown with helmets off and you don't see a guy connecting the way that uh, Frank Clark did with Jermaine Fetty and Fetty went down like that it was it was somewhat disturbing to be perfectly honest and and startled a lot of people I almost felt like the energy uh, amongst the fans and I think the energy amongst the players kind of went kind of decreased right after that at least for that session Um, the idea that this team is out of control right now I disagree with because I haven't seen anything there that would make you think that uh, outside of the Seth Wickersham's article and Again, I'm not going to really play take sides. Uh, I will take Richard Sherman's word for it uh, when he says that it was just a small part of practice in a year where they made the Super Bowl and that you see it on a regular basis. And like he says, iron sharpens iron and that they like to talk and there is a lot of yapping out there. And that's just part of the competitive process uh, when it comes to this team. Um so there's really been nothing. You know, I asked Cam Chancellor about it, and he goes, you know, I'm just in the locker room with my brothers. And he 
erupted. He doesn't see much conflict. Uh, I haven't heard that there's excessive conflict within this locker room. Uh, I, I feel like it was made out to be more than it actually is. And yeah. now that Sherman is healthy this season and not playing with whatever knee injury Pete Carroll alluded to uh, at the end of the year last year, that uh, with most of these guys back, Earl's back, uh, Tyler Lockett's back, that they have the potential to make another Super Bowl run. Uh, we, the, the, the stat that I like to talk about so many times, and people are probably here, sick of me, me saying it, is that Earl and Cam only played in seven games together last season and the Seahawks were six and one. And it's really important that both of those guys are on the field because in those nine other games, they were just four, four and one last year. If you have your back end guys, and even if you don't this year, you have Bradley McDougald, who's considered a third starter at safety yep. on this team. Um, I, I really like their chances uh, to go far. So it's just a matter of locking up the number one or number two seed, getting that first round by getting that home playoff game in the divisional round, something they haven't had since uh, the last time they went to the Super Bowl. So, Aaron, you've, you've uh, been a trooper and sticking around uh, twice as long as we said we'd keep you. So um, <laughs> I'll just ask you one last question, if you wouldn't mind. Um, sure. And that's, uh, you know, we've got, a, we've got the first preseason, preseason game coming up here in a couple of days. What's, what are the top couple of storylines that you're going to be paying attention to heading into that game? I think we already talked about it when it comes to the offensive line. I mean, it's been such a hot topic the last couple of years. Thank goodness we have a capable – One question too many. <laughs> oh no! Here we go. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, we lost you there for a second. You were saying the offensive line, and and then what was the other yeah. one? No, just the, first of all, the offensive line. Fortunately, we have a capable center going into this year. Something we we didn't have since uh, what Max Unger was on this team. Uh, no longer we have the we don't have the Drew Nowak experience anymore. We don't have the <laughs> experiment. We don't have the uh, Lemuel Jean Pierre and Patrick Lewis experiments anymore. Um, so it's nice to have Britt at center. Uh, the starting cornerback opposite Richard Sherman is going to be a hot topic. Uh, I really think that the the running back uh, situation mm -hmm. is one of the most interesting ones uh, going into this camp because they have so many capable backs and so many different types of backs. It might be the most talented and deep group of running backs we've ever seen. And uh, we talked about Chris Carson a little bit already, but you have to think that you're going to have Thomas Rawls and CJ Proceis and Eddie Lacy already. So it's going to be, can you take a fourth running back? Is it going to be Alex Collins or is it going to be Chris Carson? Might it be Mike Davis also? Uh, he's, he's looked pretty good at times uh, despite his injury the last couple of days. Uh, if I had to guess right now, Chris Carson makes this team. There's no doubt about it. Everybody's been so impressed with him so far. And he seems to be the perfect combination of size and speed who can hit the hole faster than, uh, than a guy like Eddie Lacy. Uh, that might uh, be really valuable uh, to this team this season. So uh, those would be the, those would be the top three for me. And then I think when it comes to the preseason games, I know they're probably locked in when it comes to tight end with Nick Van Ed and uh, Jimmy Graham and, and, and Luke Wilson. But I love the story about Tyrone Swoops, a uh, former quarterback yeah. from the University of Texas. He's proven to be a solid blocker, and he can also catch the ball as well. So – and we know Marcus Lucas can do the job because he's he's been with the team uh, for a little bit starting last season, but or at least a practice squad. But I love the idea of Tyrone Swoops uh, converting from quarterback to tight end, and he's probably going to get some time during this preseason as well. Those are great. Those are great uh, ads and great insights. And uh, Aaron, uh, thank you again for coming on the show and for all your coverage, um, folks that uh, are are attending here. Wanted to make sure I thanked you for your Soto coverage, standing up oh, for, for what a lot of people believe is right and um, representing the Seattle sports fans. So uh, thanks for all you do. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again uh, down the line. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Jeff. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Take care, Aaron. Bye. All right, Jeff. Um, how is your... Uh, How's your internet connection? Are we ready to go here? You ready to talk to Seahawks? Yeah, yeah. I think it was an issue with him being on his phone, and I think they have, there was a overall technical issue that I was trying to deal with the people upstairs about, and we should be good to go now. All right, good. You sent, you seem like you're moving relatively normally. No uh, max headroom <laughs> moments so far. Yeah, so. That's good to know. Uh, 
Yeah, interesting stuff from Aaron. Um, I know you only caught some of it. Um, and uh, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to take questions from uh, folks in the audience. There wasn't anything that got added in the in the chat pod um, other than Sean. Uh, hopefully, we got his, his comment out there. Anything that, that Aaron said that stuck out to you? Um, I think the offensive line stuff was intriguing. I think the fact that he seemed not as high on Ethan Postich if some of his, kind of some of the reports that have been on him and he seemed a lot, little more worried about the tackles and kind of the reports coming out of camp, which seemed to be that things are starting to stabilize and maybe the guards weren't settled and his, he kind of alleviated some of the concerns that I've had about the team and just his whole view on the postage of anything. I think that really jumped off the bat to me. How about you? Yeah, that was, that was the one thing he said that, you know, I had a little bit different point of view on, um, Posick, uh, has been strong and, um, you know, Carol even made reference today to Wally Pip when he was talking about Posick and, and a Fetty. So I think the team is seeing good things from Posick and, uh, I also think the team's really invested in a Fetty. And so, um, uh, I think that, uh, We'll see. I know that Posick played some center today, um, and I think that's meaningful. But the way that Pete talked about it, he was talking about it's helping for roster planning and future stuff. What that means to me is two things. One, as I think Aaron aptly, you know, appropriately brought up, might spell some trouble for Joey Hunt because, you know, if you've yeah, got that a guy was who had too. truly can, can be the backup, then Joey Hunt's at risk. I think that's accurate. But I think what Carol is really referring to is Justin Britt doesn't have an extension yet. I think every Seahawks fan expects him to be around next year. We finally have a good offensive lineman at, you know, at the position. Um, I think the team may be thinking, you know, what happens if we, you know, move Posick to center next year and does that give us cap flexibility to keep other players or add other players to the system? And maybe they're not as sold on Justin Britt as, as a lot of people are. Um, so that, that's my takeaway. But I do think Posick is is pushing for starter snaps. Did you guys get into Malik McDowell at all, or was that? We did not. We did not. So um, yeah, we, we we talked we talked a little bit about Aaron. You know where and you know how he got here, where he is in his career, and and some of those pieces, and and we talked a little bit about um, some of the, what he's hearing um, behind the scenes, and and uh, Chris Carson was a guy that. He said uh, Pete Carroll's talked to him about and still remains just as excited now. Um, there's actually going to be a Seahawks Saturday night segment um, where he interviewed Pete Carroll, and, and that should show up in, in that segment. So a little bit of a preview for folks here about uh, uh, about that segment. Yeah, I think I think the Carson stuff is fascinating because when Pete – Pete's kind of a running back guy, and at USC he had a ton of different running backs and guys of different shapes and sizes and – and the last couple of years, when he's really identified a running back, it was Rawls a couple of years ago as a free agent. It was Carson at the end of this draft. He seems to like the, he seems to hit on these guys pretty frequently. And the buzz at a camp on him has been crazy. And I'm just I'm excited to watch him in the preseason to see if it transfers because there's some guys when the lights turn on and practicing around, they, they just totally jump off the page. And I'm very interested to see if he carries over. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious. Um... With Chris Carson, I, I I guess what I've seen has been impressive. The thing that the thing that's been most impressive to me about Chris Carson has been his blitz pickup, and mm-hmm. um, you don't usually see rookie backs that are really good in in picking up blitzes and are willing to do that. Um, so that's the first time you really caught my eye. And then later in that same practice, you know, he ripped off what I thought was his best run. It was a twenty yard run around the left end, and he got around the corner and he got, you know, 20 yard runs in practice are, that's how long you go before you get touched. And that doesn't happen very often that you go 20 yards without being touched. And, and he, it was a pretty impressive uh, uh, burst that he had. And I think it's a little sneaky in his speed because he's a strider. He's not, he's not one of those guys that gets, uh, you know, jitter buggy and, you know, you're going to see a lot of quick moves or a lot of quick acceleration he just long strides it and um, a little bit like a Robert Smith, or I think he reminds me a little bit of Chris Warren, um, that kind of back. So 
Uh, be interesting to see how he plays in the game, but he definitely, I think Alex Collins has receded a little bit um, in the last few days that I've seen at camp. And I think Carson is, is starting to, to overtake him. So we'll see how the games play out. Yeah, and prior to Aaron joining us, I kind of wanted to hit you up with a bunch of rapid-fire questions. You've been at camp a lot. You've been doing great stuff on the observations front, and anyone who's had a chance to read Brian, he's been writing stuff that as good as any writer out there, especially the guys who are down there every day, and he's got unique stuff that is just not many people are having. He, most people are just rep- writing what they're reporting from Pete. And So off the top, I want to I hit you on five rapid-fire questions, and I'll kind of chime in at the end since you're down there most pleasant surprise and biggest disappointments disappointments so far from camp. Uh, most pleasant surprise is that, um, uh, Ethan Posick looks like he's a guy that can, can jump in and, and start, uh, right away. Um, and that, you know, he's gotten some snaps, uh, an opportunity to do that. So he looks like he can play right tackle and he can pass protect at right tackle. Um, the thing that's holding Ethan Posick back is he is not the run blocker that the other guys are. Um, I think he's still a little bit light. I think he's got 10 or 15 pounds he needs to add, which is not unusual coming out of school. I think he'll be a much better player next year when he adds that weight. But um, that's been a really pleasant surprise. Um, and the other one you asked was uh, d- disappointment. Um, yeah. I think, yeah. So on the disappointment side, <laughs> I mean, the biggest disappointment was Malik McDowell. I mean, no, no yeah. doubt about that. And, and you know, I can give you a second one because that's, uh, that's kind of pretty obvious. But uh, that's a huge loss for the team. Um, we got the news this week that he's very likely to miss the season. And um, we don't have any more details about what was going on there. And, and so that's a, it's a huge issue. I would say uh, something that most people aren't talking about yet, and, and I don't want to overplay this, but I will say that uh, Michael Bennett hasn't been the disruptor that he's been in past camps. Um, I, I went back and looked at some of my past notes from past years and even from other scrimmages, and a constant is Michael Bennett abusing, you know, the Seahawks offensive line, and um, even back, you know, multiple years ago, and uh, he just hasn't been as disruptive, and I don't know – I don't really attribute that to the, the offensive lines a lot better. Cliff Averill is still getting around the edge and causing trouble. Um, and so I have my eye on that a little bit. Bennett's getting a little bit older. Uh, and, you know, without McDowell, we desperately need Michael Bennett to be every bit of the Pro Bowl player he's been in past years. Yeah, that's certainly jumped off the page when I saw you write that the other day. And it's definitely something for us all to look for. And, I don't know how much time he's going to get in the preseason. Starters are probably going to play maybe one series this week, maybe max two, maybe closer to the third preseason game. But, yeah, you're right. If they don't have those guys going, their interior pass rush could be a big problem. And that's an area where they've really struggled the last couple of years, and they're really hoping McDowell would make a difference. So, yeah, that's it's, it's kind of an alarming thing to watch. And kind of the strange thing is defensive linemen usually – don't age maybe as slower as other positions and they're usually able to play into their mid to mid thirties and maybe better than some like say corner or safety or even receiver. They don't age as poorly and cliff still got his speed off the ball. And so, yeah, that's his hand usage is probably his best asset and it's quickness off the ball. But if he, once you lose that quickness, that becomes a totally different player. You're right. Yeah. Definitely one to keep an eye on. All right, so keep up with the rapid fire. We've been talking about Ethan Poaches. We've been talking about Ofedi all night. At this point, I know this will probably change by the time we get to the week one of the regular season. If you had to guess right now, what would be your opening day prediction, left to right offensive line, based on what you've seen so far? Uh, Left tackle, George Fant. Left guard, Luke Jokel. Center, Justin Britt. Right guard, I'm gonna go with one, I'm gonna go with Glowinski. Um, it's not who I'm. I'm telling you who I think is gonna start necessarily, not necessarily who I think should start. Um, and I expect right tackle to be Jermaine Effetti. Would you is that and would you change any of those based on who you would start or based on who you think Tom Cable would start? I would. I, I would. I would like to see Abushi in there. Um, uh, and in fact, I, I haven't seen enough of Jokel to 
to say with certainty that he's better or worse than any other players. You just, I just haven't seen enough of him. Um, but I wouldn't, I, I think both Glowinski and Abushi have played well. And I wouldn't be opposed to Abushi and, and Glowinski both being starting guards. Um, but I can't see Jokel not playing in the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, if I had to lean, I would lean towards Abushi uh, as the starting right guard. I definitely would lean towards Posick at right tackle. Um, I think Gafetti's got, I think he's got fundamental issues with his ability and his feet and his hands to to play on the edge and pass protection. I think that's going to be an issue all year long. And despite the fact that I, I really think the run game is super important and Ofedi is maybe twice the, the run blocker that Posick is. I mean, he might be that much better than him. Um, I just think he is going to become a huge issue on the right side um, in, in passing situations. And uh, uh, so, yeah, that's that's what I'd like to see. And, and in my in my starting lineup, you notice that Fetty's not even in it. So, um, you know, I could be talked into a Fetty at guard and, and a Bushi at guard. I think that would be a strong pairing. But, um, yeah, uh, that's kind of where my head's at. Yeah, that seems more or less to be the consensus. And I said in the first episode we did that I was hoping Afedi would lose the job at right tackle. I, I, I got to see him play in the preseason, obviously. I, I don't know how much we'll see Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa this week, but that's kind of a good test for the tackles. That's maybe the best edge rushing duo in the league. Gus Bradley's defense, they know how to attack this team. We'll probably just see him for a series, and we might have to wait a little to judge. But... I, th- I think more or less that's the offensive line you're going to see. Pete's been just totally raving about Luke Jokel, and I know he had to miss the mock game the other day as a rest day. But, yeah, it's going to be offensive line crazy all year long, and people are definitely going to be raving about them. Or wa- I mean, not raving, watching them closely in these preseason games. Hopefully so moving on right. in the rapid fire, this happens almost every year with John Schneider. He's always trying to be one of the youngest teams in the league, and sometimes that means moving on from a veteran. If you had to guess, who can you see as that veteran surprise 53-man cut that could be on the bubble that maybe people aren't talking about? Well, uh, I hope it's not this guy, but I would not be shocked if Marcel Reese doesn't make the squad. Um, Fullback is not a position they use that often, and they like Trey Madden quite a bit. Um, Trey Madden can contribute in special teams in ways that I don't think Marcel Reese can. And um, it has been kind of the calling card of this team to bring in a veteran that has a name that people are excited about. Uh, Antoine Winfield comes to mind, get all the way to the end of camp and they don't make it. And no one really Eric sees Winston. it. So, so that's, that's one guy. Um, I will tell you based on the way the running back stuff is gone. Um, <laughs> I don't think this will happen. Um, but I have questions about whether Eddie Lacy has, you know, is really necessary on this team. Um, and, uh, uh, I haven't had a chance to look at his contract. I'm guessing it's all, you know, it's guaranteed and there's no reason that they'd financially move on from it. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that even partway through the season, we might find out that, that his role is, is not as, as necessary as maybe we once thought. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd be I would I would be surprised if if he didn't make the squad. Yeah, I've been like if you really watch Pete Carroll closely in his press conferences, you can really learn a lot from the guys he likes and the guy. I had kind of the same instinct on you on Lacey just based on what the buzz was coming out of camp. But today, you kind of got the impression that Lacey's pretty comfortable. He there isn't much he's looking for him. But I'm like you. I need to see more. I've heard some questions about his speed, although he seems to be trimmer. Apparently he's been breaking tackles and running tough, but you know how much this team likes to play their young guys. And P was just raving about Thomas Rawls today. The other guy I started to wonder about the other day, and maybe I was misreading into this. It was Jermaine curse. Mm. And Curse's contract is set up where the dead money wouldn't be terrible. If you wanted to move on from him and he's been I noticed the other day he was just raving about all kinds of other receivers. And when Curse came up, you kind of just got a monotone answer from him. Today, he was a little more positive about Curse. He was saying he's been catching everything and consistent. He can play every position. 
I like to think that he'll be on the team in the end, but do you think he's on a bubble? Uh, I, I don't, um, uh, you know, I, I think he's a guy that they keep around. I think it's pretty likely his last year on the team. Um, and, uh, I absolutely think the team has players that should probably have that roster spot. And, um, you know, when you really look at the numbers, it's going to be hard to let go of, and let's go through it for a second. You know, you've got you've got Doug Baldwin, you've got Tyler Lockett, you've got Paul Richardson. All those guys are clearly in front of Jermaine Curse. We know that already. Um, yeah. And leave out Curse for a second. You've got Amara Darbo, who you drafted high, you think highly of. He's young, he's tall, he's a great special teams player. Um, you've got J.D. McKissick, who is a punt returner, kick returner. Um, bring something to that group. He can play running back or receiver. He's like a CJ Procise backup, and Procise is a unique player who we know has not been durable. So having someone else in the roster that could fill that role is is pretty enticing. Um, you know, keep going down the line. Um, who else has stood out? I'm trying to think through these. I mean, you've got Kenny Lawler. Um, you've got Casey Williams, who really hasn't done much this camp. Um, you've got Cyril Grayson, who's got a lot of speed and a lot of um, potential. Anyway, you're really talking about six guys making the the squad at receiver. And if you have six and Curse is one of them, you're talking about a guy like McKissick not making it or a guy like Lawler, you know, not making it. Um, uh, maybe that's not the end of the day. Or Tanner McAvoy. Sorry, I knew I was missing one. You're yeah. talking about a Tanner McAvoy, a J.D. McKissick, um, you know, maybe a Mara Darbo. I don't think so. But someone on those not being on the squad, that's a that's a risk for the future. And, and for a guy that would be at best your fourth receiver, I, I have some questions about that, that, that decision. That's exactly where my head was at the other day when I heard Pete talking about Tanner McAvoy specifically. And I started wondering, based on how much this team values things like club control and building two, three years out, do you keep a number four receiver if it's just being a guy for one year and maybe you have to lose a guy like some of the guys you mentioned, a McKissick or a, a, a Grayson even, who's jumped off the page at times. And at first, maybe I thought maybe Tyler Lockett would need to be eased in, but I don't know, you might be able to comment here. It seems like Lockett's almost full speed ahead. And it sounds like today he was flying up the field and looked like his old self and if he he seems to be way ahead of where they thought they were at this point yeah it, it is this team has never been um rushed in getting players back on the field especially during training camp they're happy to let especially veterans uh take their time and and get fully healthy and they've got a long season so why you know why waste them here uh so the fact that lock is back uh really a week in um, is an indication that he probably was ready to go when they got back to camp and they just were, were really taking it slow with him um, as needed. So I wasn't there today. I'm down in San Francisco for work. So I wasn't able to see him take part in team drills for the first time, but all the reports were obviously really strong. And Tyler Lockett, if, if he's back and he's practicing, that guy is a difference making player. So there's no doubt in my mind that he's your number two. And Paul Richardson has had a, a strong camp. Um, you know, he's, he's your number three. Uh, it's not hard for me to argue that, that someone like J.D. McKissick, you know, brings more to the table than someone like Jermaine Kearse. Um, and you just have to kind of see how the team uh, decides to play it over time. And I guess the last question I want to ask you for this rapid fire question is Blair Walsh. The narrative on him after the first couple of days of training camp was almost all out fear and confusion. And why did we let Steven Hauschka go? Why didn't we sign it or draft a kicker in the sixth round? Since those first couple of practices, it seems like he's been hitting everything. And you've been down there. And if you had to make the call, do you think Walsh is the kicker all season? And should the, the maybe the narrative surrounding him be a lot different than what it was at the start of camp? Um, 
you know, you know, I've talked a little bit about Walsh in, in previous episodes. I, in my opinion, hasn't changed much. I, I think he definitely has a live leg. The ball comes off his foot um, quickly, and uh, it's strong. It, it's been true. I think his kicks have looked good. Um, I think uh, it's Tyler Ott, who's the the new long snapper, has been really consistent. I haven't seen any problems with that mechanism. You know, the snapping, the holding, that's all been strong. And Walsh has been really consistent in his kicks. Uh, and for folks that don't know and don't go to camp, they use special uprights during camp that are narrower than the the actual uprights for the game. You know, it's it's harder to, for them to practice. It's a little bit um, tougher test. And so even when he's missed in the past, uh, in the first first practice, those were kicks that likely would have gone in in, in a true uh, game. So... I have not seen any shanks. I haven't seen anything that gives me reason to believe that, you know, he's got the yips or any real problem. But we only will know for sure when he's in a regular season game, first of all, and when, second of all, he's doing it in a pressure situation. Um, he's going to have to earn that trust. I don't think anybody reasonably should just expect him to be great and expect him to be clutch until he proves that he can be. Yeah, well, that's totally fair, and he's a guy that yeah, I imagine everyone's going to be watching closely these next four weeks while the preseason starts. And He was an all-pro kind of player before. Honestly, there was that Seahawks playoff game, and then last year he just couldn't get out of that stage mentally, and they cut him midseason. And this was a guy that was one of the best kickers, one of the most powerful kickers. So you know how much Pete loves those reclamation projects. So this is going to be maybe the biggest one they have to deal with on the roster. So I don't know if you want to get questions from fans now. I don't know how many people yeah, let's are take been... a couple of questions. And I see one from Nicholas in the, the chat pod here. Um, he's interested in our thoughts about the McDowell role, who takes the McDowell role. And uh, he was he was pretty excited about the idea of having a pass rushing defensive tackle. So I think we both were too. Who do you think takes that role now, uh, Jeff? I think the player to watch, especially these next couple of weeks, is Quinn and Jefferson. If you notice, they've been lining him up at the five technique position, which is where they were going to planning to use McDowell. Jefferson does not have the like the size and the length that McDowell had, obviously, but Jefferson is that first step, quick interior rusher that they kind of were looking for last year when they moved up. He he was a fifth round pick. He's not Malik McDowell, who was a top five talent in this draft. But if you look at the guys on the roster, there's Garrison Smith has been getting some buzz, the guy they picked up from San Francisco. And Jaron Reed's been apparently pass rushing a little bit better. But in terms of a guy who can move around the defensive line and kind of play a role similar to McDowell, I think the only one really that makes sense is Jefferson. I think you're right when it comes to uh, uh, someone who can play both the three technique, which is the inside pass rushing defensive tackle and, and a nickel. And then five technique, which is the base defense, defensive end. Those are the two positions they had McDowell potentially playing. What I've seen in camp so far is, as you mentioned, Jaron Reed has been the guy getting those nickel defensive tackle reps next to Michael Bennett. Um, and he is his effort and, you know, his get off has been pretty good. The results have been mixed. Um, I don't think he's a natural pass rusher, uh, but I think he's, he's trying to develop that skill. I would say that I've been more impressed with him than I expected to be in, in that situation. Not impressed enough that I'd be excited <laughs> to put him in there in that role or expect much from him, but he's shown me a little something, which is nice to see. But the name that you know is worth uh, uh, paying a little bit of attention to that, again, they drafted as a, a run-stuffing defensive tackle uh, is uh, Nazair Jones. Uh, oh, okay. And in the scrimmage, he was one of the standouts for me. He got a chance to start in place of Jaron Reed, who was out um, during the scrimmage. And he flashed for me three different times um, getting to the passer. And uh, he's a really strong, physical guy. Looks like a great athlete at that position. Uh, Pete mentioned him after the fact, and uh, we'll see if, if he keeps getting a chance, but he has got the size um, and the strength to be an interesting defensive tackle, and uh, it's kind of curious to see what he becomes. Yeah, Reed really is the guy to watch 
especially they're going to want to up his playing time from last year. And he was more of a run player last year. And I think we both said in the first episode of the podcast, we'd like to see him be more of a disruptor. So that's the role where you can definitely disrupt some people. And yeah, I hope he can show more in that nickel role than they would have initially anticipated. One more thing before we move on to other questions, people obviously can, can raise their hands if they've, if they've got questions, uh, we can welcome them on stage, but uh, Nicholas also asked about Dion Jordan and um, whether he could be potentially in that role. And the latest I heard on Dion Jordan um, from Pete was that uh, the earliest they, they expect him to even be able to, to get into practice would be right before the last preseason game. They're hoping that they get to see one game from him and um, he'd have to make one heck of an impression in order to, to you know, make the squad at that point. So it's going to be an uphill climb for for Dion Jordan, um, but they have some real interest in him, and they have reason to be interested in him. Um, and uh, we'll kind of see what happens there. Yeah, in terms of Jordan, he's got to get in the field first. He hasn't played a game in a long time, and it's it's a lot to ask to even expect anything out of him so until he gets on the field and even practices with the team to me he's a total non-factor and i'm not even considering him as the guy on the roster i think he's a complete long shot at this point agreed do we have any questions uh folks waiting to get on see anything no uh sounds good uh i probably got time for for a few more questions if you wanted to talk about a couple more things and and uh and i gotta i gotta get back to my day job at night yeah all right one of the one of the issues i saw on twitter the other night and for me it was a fascinating discussion is again you were kind of going over some of the players that they didn't they decided to forego in that first round and when they moved down again to the second round, when they did select McDowell, I guess some of the pushback you were getting was more of maybe that's a hindsight way to look at it. Who could have seen this coming? But I think you had a great answer that you need to really evaluate kind of the process of decision-making. And I was watching the uh, preseason game between the Texans and the Panthers earlier tonight. And in the first play of the game, I'm watching K1 short gets a sack. And if you remember when they, traded that first round pick for Percy Harvin short was a guy that a lot of people thought would have been a great fit in Seattle. So that's kind of the opportunity cost of a trade like Harvin. And when you look at McDowell, some of the guys you mentioned have pro bowl potential, some Ruben Foster and Kevin King. And so looking back at this pick, is this something that we should really be wondering about the process of their decision-making or is this just a fluke injury or bad luck? Yeah, well that's, that's where, um, uh, I've really kind of called them out a little bit. Um, people can agree or disagree, but this continued trading out of the first round, um, you know, they have, there's been significant opportunity cost with that. You mentioned K1 short. There's definitely other players available that they could have taken in that draft. Um, the, the, the pick that they ended up trading, um, you know, to Minnesota was used, on uh, Xavier Rhodes, who just signed a mega deal as a starting cornerback and has turned into a really great player, you have to think about the ripple effects. If you had drafted someone like Xavier Rhodes and he had been a legitimate second corner, where could you have used money that maybe um, you know went to Jeremy Lane? And would Jeremy Lane be a, have been as big of a required signing as as he was? And could you have? Could you have added players other places to strengthen your roster? And um, when you're looking in this situation, the Seahawks didn't trade back once. They didn't trade back twice. They traded back three times. And um, so the list of players, uh, I just got it written down here because I had talked to someone else about this. These are the list of guys that the Seahawks let go between their, their initial pick and where they ended up picking. Tack McKinley, Tredavious White, cornerback. Taco Charlton, David DiGioco, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, TJ Watt, Ruben Foster, Ryan Ramchick, Kevin King, Cam Robinson. Um, 
And I look at that list and I see a lot of names that jump out to me as potential future pro bowlers. It would not surprise me if more than one of those guys becomes future pro bowlers. And even if you just narrow it to the last four guys, Foster, Ramchick, uh, Kevin King, and Cam Robinson, the Seahawks didn't pass on those guys once. They passed on them twice um, to make that second trade back. And they used that trade back to then basically take Malik McDowell, who had some question marks, um, and not draft a corner. They added Tedrick Thompson and they added Mike Tyson. That's really what they got um, is Tedrick Thompson and Mike Tyson in order to make these trades. And I got to say, like, I don't think Mike, I don't think Mike Tyson makes this team. And I don't think Tedrick Thompson has shown any reason to think that he's, you know, going to be an impact player anytime soon. So you risked all of those players being on your team in order to add two players that may not even make your team and miss and, and a guy that ended up, um, you know, he was around at the time they picked because there are real questions about Malik McDowell. So I would like to see the team invest more in, in staying in the first round, making the pick and, um, you know, not necessarily just, I think the first trade back made sense. I still have questions about the second trade back. Yeah, it's been interesting. I guess the counter would be some of it was bad luck and some of it. If you look at some of those other guys, I retweeted this this week. And again, I hope people aren't thinking that I'm bagging on Kevin King because Kevin King was one of my favorite prospects in the draft. I picked him to Seattle in my first mock draft in early April. But one of the Green Bay papers wrote yesterday, one of the more reliable beat writers, that King has been getting torched in one-to-one drills and he's really looked out of place. And I don't know, maybe I'm living in the now, but is it out of the realm of possibility that Shaq Griffin turns into a better player than Kevin King? Not at all. That's not out of the realm of possibilities at all. And there's, there's some, there's some different factors at play there to be aware of. So one, um, uh, I think Shaq Griffin, you could have had both. So I, I think that, I was a fan and I was in that pre-draft. I was talking about this is a cornerback rich draft. The Seahawks should come out of this draft with two corners. Mm -hmm. I would be okay if they spent their first two picks on cornerbacks. And if we ended up with two guys that were starting quality and that allowed us to potentially move on from Sherman before he gets his next contract and spend that money elsewhere. And we felt good about it because we had good young corners. That would have been a smart thing to do. And that would have been a way to strategize and look ahead. So Uh, That's one piece of it. The other is you cannot assume that Kevin King in a Seahawks system with Seahawks coaches and Seahawks training would be the same Kevin King that he's going to be in Green Bay. I think Kevin King had all the characteristics of what a Seahawks cornerback needs to be. I have a lot of trust in the Seahawks coaches to coach up. They've coached up guys with a lot less talent than Kevin King. Kevin King was a great run supporter. He was a willing tackler. Those are the things I liked about him in college as well. Um, I have very little doubt that Kevin King would have been a very solid Seahawks cornerback. I also am happy to report, I think Shaq Griffin may be better than Kevin King. I think he looks fantastic, and I'm really excited about what he becomes. doesn't change anything about my opinion about that draft. Yeah, I uh, can't, can't really argue with you there. The only – thing I might wonder about is I really think the way they want to build this line, I think Ethan Posich is kind of the guy they would have really targeted ahead of maybe a Ryan Ramchick or a Cam Robinson based on the versatility. But yeah, the guys who love run blocking would have loved Cam Robinson as your right tackle or would maybe would have could have eased in George Fan a little bit. And Ramchick is probably going to be the opening day starter in New Orleans now that Taron Armstead is probably out for the season. So those two guys are going to get a lot of playing time early and those guys shine and Pochich is on the bench. There's certainly going to be a lot of questions, but I guess moving on before you jump out of here, the first game is this, is this Sunday. They open up in LA, LA chargers. That's still weird for me. Um, yeah, they, there'll be some familiar faces. Russell Okung is on the team, Brandon, me Gus Bradley, but it's from a Seattle perspective. If you have to name three, two or three players that you'd be keying on, because we're probably not going to see much of the starters the first preseason game, 
is more for the second string, third string guys. So I guess off the top of your head, two, three guys that you're would be keying on if you were a fan of this game. Yeah, I'll give I'll give you a, a little bit more than that. I'll give you two or three that that I think you definitely want to pay attention to, and then I'll give you a, a few that that uh, you know you want to pay attention to in the second half that uh, you know might not be as as well known. So, um, Shaq Griffin is number one on that list. Um, this is a chance to see how he performs. Uh, gets a good quarterback with uh, some receivers, pro, pro receivers, and and uh, see how he holds up. I. I have high hopes um, for, for how he, he comes out of this. Um, similarly and related to that, uh, DeAndre Elliott should be getting a, an interesting opportunity at nickel corner, and um, we'll learn a little bit more about him. He he jumped into my onto my radar last year against the Raiders in the preseason. He hadn't played that well in, the, in training camp from my point of view, but he was physical. He was aggressive. He made plays on the ball in that game, and, um, I think he's going to get a shot to, to play a lot of nickel this weekend. And so he, he's another guy I'd be interested in watching. Um, and then uh, Terrence Garvin, um, you know, sticking with the defensive side of the ball. Uh, number 52 um, will likely be the starting Sam in this game. I think he's got really interesting movement skills, fast, um, aggressive. Um, uh, he's great. Um and I think people are going to really enjoy watching Bradley McDougald as well. Uh, number 30, you know, he'll be out there flying around and watching him play with Earl Thomas or with Cam Chancellor is, is pretty interesting. As far as like guys that, that are lower down um, the list that are worth watching, um, Cyril Grayson is going to be an interesting guy to see if his speed shows up um, in this game. Uh, he'll definitely be a second half guy. Um, I think uh, watching how, uh, uh, Ode Abushi um, and um, you know Glowinski both, but really Abushi how he shows up if he's not the starter. It's gonna be really interesting. He's number seventy three. He's one to watch. Um, and then you know you got to keep your eye on on the running back situation and how Chris Carson and Alex Collins play in this game is is going to be pretty important for both those guys and, and their chances to make the squad. So. Those are a couple of the, the names that, that uh, jump out to me. Yeah, and a lot of people think just because this is maybe the first preseason game, there isn't much to be made from this. And when I used to cover the NFL in Toronto, Buffalo was our local team, so I would go down to their games every so often or head down to practices. And people, some of the people down there said there's a lot to be learned from these games, and you really see who can play when the lights come on and who flashes. There's a lot to be – I remember – Doug Baldwin's first year, that was the first time he jumped out to me of this, wow, this guy can actually play. And he kept carrying it over and carrying it over. And you really learn maybe some guys don't show up in practice and they don't flash. And some guys more are meant for game situations. So I guess moving on to my list, the guy kind of there for me, number one, is going to be Trayvon Boykin. And that Mm -hmm. backup quarterback battle has seemed to be kind of a disaster in camp so far. And no one's really seemed to take command of the offense. There's a lack of zip from Austin Davis on his passes. And Boykin seems to be a little inaccurate. Boykin strikes me as the kind of player who would be better in games and practices. I don't know how much the coaching staff would like that because they're so such a believer in practicing. So number one, I'm going to watch him closely because he looked pretty decent in relief last year for Wilson and the preseason. He showed some stuff. So he's the guy I'm, probably looking on as you mentioned the receiver battle to me this is really your first look at a bunch of these guys and jd mckissick is really going to be the guy i'm focusing on i want to see if he kind of strikes the page as a returner if they use him in that precise role or more use him as a route runner in the receiver so he could be playing with the ones he can be playing with the twos he can be playing with the threes he's going to be fascinating michael roos on offense you mentioned him earlier he was just getting a ton of buzz today they said they they could have easily drafted him in the fourth round and been happy with his production so far. So to see how he kind of plays with his twos and the last couple of years, the Seahawks backup offensive line has looked absolutely horrible in training camp. And we've known how bad their starting offensive line has been in these preseason games. They've just looked terrible. So I want to see if maybe the added depth that they've had from Bushi and Roos, maybe even Joey Hunt, a second year in the program, how these guys play. And the other guy who, no one's really talking about, and I kind of want to see how he fits in, is Cassius March. I know he went down to that Von Miller pass rushing 
I don't know if it's an academy or it was a lesson for all these veteran players in the league. It was kind of surprising that he was down there. And I think he's a better player than he gets credit for. And he's a solid pass rusher. He's not a jump off the page flashy, but he's a try hard guy who really flashes on special teams. And I kind of want to see if he steps up because the backup defensive line right now is kind of a concern in my opinion without yeah. Dion Jordan and without McDowell. And I don't know how much Frank Clark's going to play with that brace on his left knee. So if I had to name the guys I'm watching, it's probably Marsh on defense. Yeah. Those are some great call outs. Great call outs for sure. Um, Thanks for uh, hosting again. I know you've been dealing with uh, some technical stuff. I'm glad we were able to work those things out. Uh, and uh, let's do this again next week. Uh, keep keep getting some. Thank you for uh, getting Aaron on the show. That was awesome. And uh, I know you and I have some other you know good guests lined up in the in the future. Yeah. Again, I apologize for the technical issues. We're still going to get to the bottom of this, but next week we'll have the Chargers game to talk about, and then we'll be right on to the Vikings game. So. Full steam ahead for me and Brian. Thanks, Thanks everybody. everybody.